Hello and welcome to Tete Tete by Fresco Media. We're here today for part three of our big Premier League preview, where we're giving you a lowdown on all the Premier League clubs after what has been an eventful transfer window. And where better to start today than Tottenham Hotspur, who have brought in arguably their best player in the past decade back to uh, Tottenham Hotspur, Gareth Bale. They've added Sergio Reguilon and uh, they look to be a team that has rebranded themselves, found themselves a new identity at the new stadium and finally have brought in the star names to add to that big stadium. Um, Yeah, it's a very interesting time for Tottenham Hotspur's fans. I, I think... Uh... I think it's a very divided base right now in the sense that is Mourinho the way to go forward with this team or is Mourinho exactly what's required in order to take this team to, you know, kind of say the next level in terms of actually winning trophies and not just, you know, just finishing third in a two-horse race title. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, um, as an Arsenal fan, as you see, like, Mourinho over the years has, of course, uh, kind of given Arsenal a few fair bits of batteries here and there. And... To be very fair, from what I've seen till now, especially after the season has started, the way that they've started, especially uh, 6-1 at Old Trafford, which is, regardless of the fact that there was a red card, I think it's quite a bit of statement from Tottenham's side. Um, I am a bit worried. I would say before the season started, I wasn't that worried because we all know how Josie is and it looked like already towards the end of last season that his third season syndrome was kind of slipping into its uh, the first season itself with the way that he was talking to the press about certain players and uh, the club and how the backing is required. But based on their current uh, results in the league, the first four games, I am a bit worried that they might be dark horses for the top three. Before we get on to the uh, specifics of Tottenham season, uh, I'm sure you've watched the Amazon documentary on Tottenham Hotspur's, uh, you could say, transitional season last year. And we saw a lot of, um, you know, iconic quotes from Mourinho and his backroom staff about certain players. And that led you to believe that he's probably one of the best man motivators out there. Because for the longest time, we've seen that he's been one of the best in the game as a manager. And we all wondered as to what exactly does he say to his players to get them to play on his wavelength or to his ideas. What do you think about the documentary and do you think that has, you know, a great effect on how Neutral looks at Mourinho and Tottenham Hotspur this season? I, I think 100%, absolutely 100%. And again, I'm not uh, trying to belittle Tottenham, but I think that the documentary as a whole was like a Jose Mourinho kind of a personal uh, marketing scheme because he came out He was the selling team. point. I'm sure he was, he was touted he was. as a selling point. And you know, you know what my opinion on Jose Mourinho has been over the years. And I think it's been a bit biased, of course, because, you know, I'm as an Arsenal fan and the way that he and the fact that he's coached Chelsea and Manchester United. But I, to be very fair, I think over the last six months, I think especially since he got sacked at United and his uh, punditry uh, uh, roles at Sky Sports for certain games and on top of that, the Amazon All or Nothing document. I think my respect for Mourinho, I think I've always had respect for him, but I've actually started to admire the guy a little bit in the sense that the way he actually kind of tries to get his players going, I really do kind of uh, agree with the way his uh, man management coaching and skills are based upon. And I'm quite excited to see what he does this season. Although I hope he does still finish below Arsenal. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. But this is his second season and we've always heard about the second season syndrome. I mean... 
third he does have a third season syndrome where his clubs normally lose the plot but the second season is where he sets his team up to win either one of the big big trophies you know the champions league the premier league or the domestic league titles or the cups um i mean we're not going to look sit here and say that tottenham hotspur are going to win the premier league surely this is too early in their development under mourinho but is a cup success quite important to them considering that they've they have a very dry um trophy cabinet at the moment i think so i think generally for more than any other club in the top 6 let alone the top 6 i think in the top 8 because tottenham are in that position where they can actually consolidate themselves as kind of a superpower in european football they just maybe like i personally if i was a tottenham fan i would want them to go for the europa league and mourinho has pedigree in the competition he has won it with manchester united in his first season there and um, i do i hope they don't i genuinely hope they don't because i think it can be a I think it can be a plus point for them. Uh what do you think about Mourinho and the Europa League and how important do you think it is for him in the future especially while he's at Tottenham Hotspur and could it define the rest of his time at Tottenham if he wins say a trophy? For sure I think if he wins even one trophy he'd probably go down as one of the greats <laughs> as a Tottenham manager simply because the others <laughs> have it. But it as much as it does um you know it, it would make me happy to see tottenham win a trophy it does pain me to see that pochettino didn't leave his reign with a trophy because for all he for all that he uh, accomplished without winning a trophy i think it has to be said that he brought the club to a level where challenging for the top 4 year in year out became a precedent and uh, uh, that being said the europa league gives them a great opportunity to build on something in europe Uh, of course we do know that they lost out i i i want to ask you one more question i want to ask you one more question like tottenham over the last 4 years they've made the champions league right play finishing in the top 4 if you were a tottenham fan right now what would you rather have finishing top 4 or actually having the guarantee of say of an fa cup trophy this is a difficult one i think as a football fan you would obviously want them to finish in the top 4 for the simple reason that it guarantees you more money uh, a chance to play against the elite and of course it boosts your prestige as a club but this is tottenham hotspur they haven't won a trophy in around 12 13 years and we all know how important trophies are for a club you just take the example of liverpool and man city even because these clubs won trophies or even fa cups or carabao cups after a long period of time and it was celebrated as an accomplishment a start of something new and that is what trophies mean we we've even seen with arsenal having won the fa cup and the community shield even that it's kick started a lot of positivity with, amongst the fans about the backing of the manager the club the players so trophies are important in a club's history and uh, what 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 better than the ideal combination of a trophy a proven trophy winner mourinho and a club without trophies to ultimately win a trophy no matter which one it is whether it's in europe or domestically who knows maybe jose might have actually just met his perfect match at england and he might just kind of like like look look at it before like he has thrived being the underdog like at porto there was an underdog to benfica at the time when he took over at chelsea at chelsea he was the underdog when he came to of course the two giants at the time manchester united and arsenal vying it out for the premier league title season year in year and out uh, and then at inter milan also in the sense that there was a little bit of turmoil they had just won back to back to back under roberto mancini but they didn't they kind of weren't exactly expecting to kind of go and win the treble three or uh, two years on with uh, Jose Mourinho and i think it's ever since he took over madrid where you know a sense of uh, how to say it, that his past success has made him most coveted manager at the time but de- 
Madrid, of course, we all know Real Madrid, they demand instant success and it didn't kind of come because he's, he's a victim of his own success that way. He's a victim because even when he joined Man United, he was expected too much just because of his track record. But uh, the problems that persisted there have, you know, given a, given the bad impression on him that, you know, he demands too much from the board, he loses interest in the club within a year's time. And like you mentioned, the underdog story is a perfect match for a club like Tottenham. You don't expect them to even win a single trophy just because of their history. Um, but I, I want to come on to their players a bit. because yes, exactly. Mm. We've spoken about the manager and the impact he can have on the team. But we should mention that this team, uh, or at least half this team, did reach, did reach the Champions League final and has been a critical element of this team over the past four or five years. Um, Harry Kane, of course, has been the most lethal striker in the Premier League since he entered the stage. And in Hyung Min Son, they have one of the best, most lovable guys on a football pitch at the moment. And his performance in that drubbing against Man United <laughs> was, was beautiful to watch. But now, the big question comes in as to how he fits in Gareth Bale into this team. Because Bale hasn't played as regularly as he wanted to in the last two or three years. And he's clearly lacking match sharpness towards his start or whenever he beds into the team. Now, if they get Bale fit and firing, what do you think is the ceiling for the Spurs squad, uh, I think let's let's look at their potential first name, uh, first eleven that they could put out. If say they have all their players fit, you can have Loris. Of course, I think Loris is the undisputed uh, number one right now, and Sergio Reguilon. I think can has the potential to be one of the buys of the season. I mean, okay, forget the fact that they have a buyback clause, like Real Madrid have inserted a buyback clause. If they can get two to maybe three seasons of solid service out of Sergio Reguilon. And then sell them, sell him back to Real Madrid. I think they would have done a fantastic job because he could have arguably got them into the Champions League, maybe in, won them a trophy in that period. And uh, Matt Doherty might not be the most flashiest name when it comes to you know players being touted in the market in order to take over the right back position. But the more I look at it, I think he has got some very solid investments in that team right now. Pierre Emil Hoiberg in the middle of that park, I've really liked him. He. Uh, when he's played for Southampton, I've really enjoyed watching him play. And I don't think he's been given enough credit that he also can be a difference in the final third. He won't go, he won't score goals, but he can instigate attacks by giving it to the players and the wings. And then, of course, let's not forget about Bale coming back. I think it can, it's already brought a feel-good factor to this club. And if, if you can get even 60% of the Bale that we saw at Tottenham in his last season... I genuinely do think that it'll be dark horses for the top three. And let's not forget that Harry Kane has also started the season in fantastic form. So Leicester City, uh, the champions of 2015-16, and uh, we just spoke about Tottenham Hotspur there, who somehow surprisingly ended up third in a two-horse race against Leicester that season. But... uh, there were parallels between that title-winning season and the first half of last season for Leicester, where they were the only challengers in the first half to Liverpool. And at one point, I do remember people touting them as uh, not a surprise winner or a surprise contender for the champ- uh, for the uh, Premier League title, but someone a club that has like you know structure and a plan built around uh, Brendan Rodgers. And uh, of course, Leicester don't really have the fan pressure that you know, the other traditional top six would have. So for them, it, it kind of an advantage that they can get away with a certain um, run of games that we saw at the end of last season where they bottled the top four race. But this season, it, it it's it's more refreshing for them because 
Jamie Vardy again is on top form. They've brought in Timothy Castagna, who is a fantastic buy to fill in for Ricardo Pereira when he's injured. They've lost Ben Chilwell, but they've kind of replaced him with their academy graduate, a jo- uh, James Justin. And uh, Leicester still have a lot of young players who still are yet to reach their potential. So where do you see Brendan looking to improve this team uh, going down the line? Because they have a lot of players who are around 23, 24, 25. So, what is their realistic target going to this um, season? I think, I think first of all, I think Leicester fans are one of the most, uh, uh, you could say, luckiest fans out there because I do think that it's very rare to find fans who are quite in sync with the owners of the club when it comes to almost everything on the pitch as well as off the pitch. And we all know the whole thing about the Srivadana Prabha family who owned Leicester and the way that they're looked at by the community with so much love because of the what they've given to the club. And not just in terms of money and investment, the ethos that they bring to the club and the values that clearly that they've instilled, not just in the club, but in the community as well. Yeah, I'd like and, to give uh, a first-hand uh, acknowledgement of that because having yes. attended a few games at Leicester, it was, it was lovely to see. I think I did attend uh, the anniversary of uh, their former owner, which I see that Prabha's... Uh, uh, death and that was a big big moment for the club a sad moment and to see the club's fans in unity was fantastic so yeah yeah exactly exactly what i'm talking about and i do think it's even from a neutral's perspective like i'm sure it is a fantastic moment like like a somber occasion but then also a moment that you must have felt like yes i understand what this club is all about absolutely and the uh, the commu- community and the way that they have, uh, the bond that they have with the club. And I think that the owners have made sure that that bond has not been damaged. So I do think a lot of credit needs to be given to them. And coming to the football aspect of it, I mean, I think they've done some fantastic business in the market in general. Especially when it comes to selling on players. Last season, Harry Maguire for 80 million. I think uh, we can all agree that uh, that was a tad bit expensive. But fantastic business from Leicester's point of view. And uh, Ben Chilwell this season for 50 million. Like, uh, before the season started, I was telling a couple of friends that, you know, uh, I was, in fact, uh, when we were discussing about Atlanta, like, T- Timothy Kastan, I-, I think he's going to be one of the buys of the season. And let's look at the fact that he was bought for half the price. And, of course, they we all know that they've invested in Wesley Fofana, who's one more up-and-coming centre-back, who's, of course, part of the Fra- French contingency that's, like, taking all over Europe right now. But... If you look at the team right now and if you look at the fact that they kind of did underachieve in the sense that at least until lockdown started, Leicester was shooing for the top four. Unfortunately, they did finish in fifth position. But if you had asked any Leicester fan before the start of the 2019-20 season, would they take fifth position? I think they would have bit your hand off. So you can still consider it maybe a success that season. And I do see them kicking on, hopefully in the sense that they are more competitive throughout the season rather than having the spurt that they had at the start of the season. And then, you know, of course, we all saw the fall-off. It was gigantic after especially Project Restart happened. But what do you look at... Uh, uh, when you look at Leicester, what do you think that their aspirations need to be this season? And how far do you think Brendan Rodgers can take this team going forward? And would a top-four place be too much to expect? Um, I think Leicester is an interesting one because... Um... They have a squad that is capable, like you mentioned, of getting to the top four. They should have been in the top four last year. And the big criticism has been that they're pretty much... They have only one gear due to the lack of, you know, quality backup. But this year, they do have a few additions that can kind of change their dimension in the way they play. You know, it was always about that back four and how Johnny Evans and Soyuncu were such an integral part of their defense. 
uh, and Didi of course shielding them um, in midfield. But as soon as Ricardo Pereira got injured, the form just dipped, and I hope, I really hope that they can keep, um, you know, a consistent level of performance because we've seen that they did lose their last game to West Ham three 0 at home, and that's quite a, that's a bad result to take, especially at home because you expect them at least, you know, keep a clean sheet if not score a goal and win the game. But in terms of going to the season, the Europa League is a big challenge for them because um, in any season, it would already be a problem, the number of fixtures, but this is even more so. And travelling for the Leicester team is quite new, considering that uh, not I, many of them I, I, just want, I just want to cut you in there and say, uh, for a second. Uh, you mentioned the Europa League. Do you think Leicester should try and target that trophy? I mean, wouldn't it be a big statement from their part if they but were to actually it's, it's go It's very on unrealistic. And... I think it's very unrealistic to expect or for Leicester to expect that you could, you know, you could um, challenge for the Europa League from the get-go. Of course, like Wolves showed last year, you could probably get to the pre-quarters or quarter stage and then decide whether you want to give it a serious shot. But to to challenge from it uh, from the outset, you'll probably have to fly your first-team players all across Europe to uh, I forgot which group they're in, but probably the eastern side of Europe and stuff like that. Which is it is going to take a toll on the team, especially considering that you might have a lot of cup games and Premier League games midweek. Um, from that point of view, the Europa League is going to be a challenge for all the teams playing in the Europa League um, this season. But uh, specifically for Leicester, I think their interest would be better suited to probably targeting a cup competition um, like the FA Cup or the Carabao Cup, as well as trying to get in the top six again in the Premier League. Because let's not forget, this is a club that's trying to progress towards building a consistent um, future future-proof uh, project under Brendan Rodgers. And he's a perfect fit for the club because he loves to play uh, with a front-footed attacking philosophy. And I think the fans love to see that. So to just see him build upon that consistency, I think would be a successful season for Leicester. Moving on, we're going to be talking about one of the other London clubs this season, and it's Crystal Palace. And we all know about Crystal Palace, and uh, they are usually associated as one of those teams who won't get relegated, but kind of always have these surges of form where they go on a five-match winning streak, and then you can see them actually kind of consistently if they perform after that, finishing maybe in the European positions, and then they actually usually have a drop-off and then kind of end up in the 14th or 15th positions in the table. And this season, they have, of course, made a couple of purchases. And uh, the one that stands out for me is Everett Chiesa, who actually might be just an exciting addition to the team. And, of course, Wilfred Zaho, who they have, again, I, I have no idea how, have managed to hold on to him for another season. And, of course, we all know that all their aspirations this season are totally surrounded around him. Uh, when it comes to uh, Crystal Palace, uh, especially as, an, as a Liverpool fan, you all know how it feels to have Roy Hodgson as a manager, but uh, I do like him personally. I think he's a fantastic fit for a club like Crystal Palace. Uh, what do you expect from them this season? And uh, do you think they can break into the top 10? I, I doubt it because although they've started the season well, they have started the season well, I think, majority of the past six or seven years. Uh, other than the year they were under Frank Tabor, who was a fraud of a manager, as we, we will probably come out to mention a few times over the course of the year. <laughs> Um, they have always started well in the Premier League. And eventually, you know, they, they, they're they probably the one club that achieves safety before anyone else and just take the foot off the pedal. And you'll probably see a different Crystal Palace every week because that's the kind of side they are. But I really hope they're under Roy Hodgson and I hope he has a broader plan wherein they try and get into that upper echelons and like you said, the top 10. Because the signing of Eberechi Eze is one of those signings that 
kind of point them in the direction towards a top 10 finish because he's a talent that was touted by a lot of clubs including West Ham and probably you know the likes of Leicester and Everton and he's he's probably going to be very very useful in trying to take the burden off Wilf, Wilfred Zaha who has literally been carrying the club for the longest time you know and uh, like you mentioned to see him still be at uh, Crystal Palace is quite a shock to many but with him in the team i think they need to make hay while the sun shines and a top 10 should be the target but like we've seen in the past it could be a problem where crystal palace achieve safety too early and they just take the foot off the pedal uh, i just think that they need to address the lack of goals in this team and i do think that if they had actually added ollie watkins who they kind of uh, linked to as before villa kind of scooped him i do think that they need to add a fantastic center forward to the team or at least a good center forward who can Guarantee. Well, do you think Jordan Ayew is not up to the billing because he's shown that he has scored a few beauties for the he past year or so? He holds the ball up pretty well. I think he, he, I think he's a good player. I also enjoy watching the way he plays, especially he, he's a small guy, but he kind of is a battering ram for the centre forwards. He doesn't give them a moment of rest. But will he get you the twelve to fifteen goals maybe required to ensure that you not just survive in the Premier League, but also maybe kind of attack the top ten? No, I don't think so. Finally, coming on to our final team in this part of our Premier League preview, um, Burnley, and I think this is our last uh, team that we're going to review today because they've just gone so under the radar. This whole, you know, during the lockdown and during the transfer window, where they've probably signed only one or two players who are not even first team players. They've got um, Jeff Hendrick, who's left the club for Newcastle again. Um, you know, Sean Dyche has been vocal to the owners and the board members about the lack of transfer business, and even threatened to leave the club. Uh, that would be a big blow for Burnley, in my opinion. And uh, this is a season which is so crucial for Burnley because, as every club will face, the COVID nineteen pandemic has impacted the club finances. And if they do eventually go down, in a similar way to Bournemouth, I think it could be a very long term stay in the bottom divisions if they don't manage to stay up. So. What is your outlook on Burnley this season? Uh I think uh, first of all even though I don't necessarily kind of enjoy watching Burnley play I think Dwight McNeil is the only player that I kind of like you know sit up and notice while they play and be like okay here's a guy who might actually try and do something out of the ordinary but <laughs> I don't think we can take anything away from the fact that Sean Dyche has done an absolutely fantastic job with this team considering the facts the finances that he has the access to the amount of money that he has is unrivaled in the sense that it's so little compared to the rest of the league and if you look at it the way that he speaks in certain press conferences he repeatedly claims that his side are not yet an established top flight club some people might argue that it's like part of his managerial style but in a way that it is true because burnley as a town also it is um, unpretentious and it's unassuming and they're very proud of the fact that burnley as a club is an established team right now in the top flight fifth consecutive season if i'm not wrong i i think i'm wrong i think in between one season they did get relegated but just looking at that fact um he's done a fantastic job and right now we all seen the reports where he and the chairman have had a lot of tension because of the fact that the chairman has not given him a budget for the season and um i would be very upset and i'll be very sad as a neutral if to see burnley you know get relegated this season but are you going to be surprised if they get relegated i won't be surprised are you going to be surprised i wouldn't too it would be so. it's kind of a writing on the wall um 
they're accustomed to you know being a dogged defensive side that kind of gets points through draws and not really wins they do get the odd win but their strength is in grinding out points and uh, the way they've started the season they look leaky at the back mostly because their defense is quite aging you know that apart from Tarkovsky and Ben Mee of course uh, you know the fullbacks Phil Bardsley and uh, Eric Peters are on the wrong side of 30 and that's not going to help especially when you have technical wingers who can you know dribble at pace and change direction so swiftly and they they're prevalent in all teams at the moment and Burnley seem to lack in that department so that would really hurt them the fact that the fullbacks are always exposed and i think the one direct one uh, strategy to chris wood has paid off over the past few years and having jay rodriguez as that dribbler behind him has helped but they just don't have that tooth you know that tooth and that exuberance to their play that can actually get them goals this year because Premier League football and the clubs in the Premier League have been evolving to a stage where you need to have technical players. It's not, it's not going to work if you're just going to hoof the ball to your number nine and expect your runners beyond him to go and score a goal. It's, it's quite outdated at this point. So, I think the writing is on the wall for Burnley. And unless somehow they put together a run of four or five games where they probably win two or three of them. uh to was the back end of the season i don't see them staying up oh uh, but would you put it past john dyche having another miracle this season by maybe just sneaking into the top 15 i think all good things have to come to an end and i i genuinely think this is probably the end for him at burnley because i've never seen him so vocal about his displeasure at the board um you know normally he takes the things on the, these things on the chin and tries to do what he can with the squad but this time it, it seems like all is lost at this point and the way he's would he been, have a lack of would he have a lack of job offers after this season in the top flight especially can you he, see him he could, like maybe managing a team like crystal palace if he could Hudson be one of those sam allardyce type of managers who come in to save a team you know i could see him as that kind of manager i don't see him as a manager that clubs will back to the hilt and as a to, as a manager to build a project around simply because of his um playing style and i don't think that's a uh exciting watch for any fans who right now at this point in time are more important than anything to football clubs in terms of their displeasure or the you know the positives or negative reviews on managers so um it's going to be a hard one for Sean Dyche you know we all love the fact that he's done so well at Burnley but this is going to be a hard one to take and i i don't want to see it happen but i i'm afraid it's going to happen at one point mm-hmm.